Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. My name is Kevin, one of your hosts. And I am Ethan, two of your hosts. Maybe I should stop. Maybe that joke's getting old. Um, welcome. Today, on this podcast that you're listening to, we will be discussing the current episode that we are talking about, entitled Crisis Point Part 2. This episode was directed by Michael Mullen, who we've seen before. He's mostly known for the Jurassic World and Kung Fu Panda animated universes, along with some Rugrats. And then it is written by Ben Rogers, who's a college humor fella. I also worked on Solar Opposites, as many of the uh, people do on this show. The Jurassic World, the uh, Jurassic World cartoon is actually... um surprisingly good i've seen a few of them um and i enjoyed it all right we talking camp cretaceous here yeah camp cretaceous yeah yeah oh yeah all right it's very cool put it on my list but this episode is a obviously by the name a sequel to would you say the best episode of lower decks if not the best one of the best I, we haven't really um, done a ranking of episodes since, no. I remember, but I don't know. Do you think that still holds true? Yeah, without going back and doing some research, I'd say yes. Yeah. Um, Certainly the one that it, it, at the moment ha- I, I felt the most um, satisfied having watched. Right. Right. And what I think what I find very interesting about this one is it's not... While sequel to Crisis Point Part 1, even though Part 1 was not in the title, Part 1 was an episode that was all about the comedy. It was sort of all about the gags, the throwaway lines, the sort of humorous kind of member berries, if you will. But I felt like this one didn't... And I was kind of expecting more of that with this one. But they didn't really do do that honestly it was like an actual episode with a story right it didn't it was not a reliance yeah. on just the gags and the and the poking fun of the movies right right i did do th- it had a fair amount of that it had a fair amount but that's not what it was like about even though it felt like the last one that's it was more about that right right yeah so so in a way k- kudos to um the writer because they managed to get in enough of those uh, gags and references, but also right. have a story. Right. Um, and here's my question to start us off here. Was this a um, well-thought-out statement on the true nature of Star Trek, do you think? Or was that just a not part of it? Was that just sort of a like a gag bit or something? Because I think if you wanted to interpret it as a statement on the uh, writer's feelings about the true nature of Star Trek, I think you could make a case for that. I don't know that I looked at it that way, but indulge me a little bit. Why do you, yeah. Um, Okay, so we begin um, with sort of the peel-off of the action versus the, and I think um, as Boimler says it, uh, an examination of the human condition. Right. So Boimler's story becomes, he says, this is like what it's really about, this examination of uh, the human condition. Um, And so if one wanted to read it, I think that coupled with Tendi's line... Um, where is it? Something like, oh, are we going to create an alternate timeline with different right. people playing us? That seems, and Tendi said, like, well, that seems highly unlikely and, and not rational. Uh, something to that effect. So I think those put together could, one could take it as if they wanted to, saying that, uh, oh, and the motion picture, Star Trek, the motion picture reference at the end with the Kitty Hawk. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it could be a statement about what what someone thinks. I could see that. I mean, when you, I think when you say it that way, I can probably get on board with it. Mm-hmm. 
an examination of the human condition is we've heard that before, like whether it's coming from Gene Roddenberry, kind of like in the mid, early, mid, late 70s, around like motion picture era. Um, I've heard that, I've heard people, you know, them say that about Star Trek many, many times. The alternate reality where younger people are playing other versions of us. I mean, that's obviously a sort of ride jab at the Abrams films. Right. That's how I, right. you know, that's what I saw it as. Yeah. Uh, so, so I thought kind of that, that that whole action sideline was right could be interpreted as the not true. Well, if that's the case, um, if if you wanna if you wanna go there, um, where would you? So if those are your sort of two sides of it. Where would you put lower decks then? Uh, well, here's the thing that's interesting. It seemed like they were making the case that. True track is about examining the human condition. But then at the end, they had that little sort of um, almost a post-credit scene that leaned much more toward the kind of action-y, silly side of track where we had the evil Boimler, Section 31 right. Boimler. So right, I think right, right. It, I, it, in honesty, I think it, it is happy to play with both. Right. Yeah, I think it's willing to dance around dance on the on the edge of both but i if indeed they wanted to lean into the kelvin universe a little bit more i could you see a crisis point three where that's what they're dealing with they're dealing with it's sort of like now making fun of the kelvin timeline and like they have alternate versions of them somehow do you think that would land i think it would land to change the animation style yeah I think that would land pretty well. Yeah. yeah. I think that would be nice. Because here, well, we're still very much in the original crew films. Because we've got the mm-hmm. cleavage lady Klingons, which I feel is a very well, 80s uh, Trek film. Well, and the opening title of it. I mean, when they're sitting in the holodeck watching the titles come in. I mean, it's it's the it's the motion picture um, key yeah. art that comes in. It comes down, it blasts out from the center, and then the title comes up. And then... The fonts Although the that are, seemed a little more Picard on a dune buggy in the desert. Right. But uh, the other thing I was going to add, sorry, really quick, is that the titles, the font, saying, you know, Rutherford playing this, um, mm-hmm. that's the font from The Wrath of Khan. So it's, the, it's called it's the Montalban font. Really? Yeah. Good for them. Good for him. So, and I have that font on my system. So, yeah, I mean, they're very much, yeah, leaning into, again, the original series films with this. So, but I, but yeah, to your point, I mean, there there were those sort of the dune buggy. I mean, it did. In fact, when they're even on that desert planet, I mean, I I was actually getting more of a sort of New Hope Star Wars feel about it, honestly. (laughs) Or perhaps a little bit of um, the... What does it remind me of? It reminds me of Uhura doing the dance in the desert. Yes, yeah, from Star Trek Five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Star yeah, Trek yeah. Five. I, I think for me, it's like it's just desert planet. I just think of yeah, Moss Eisley. It's like true. I remember when they re- I remember when they released the first actually. Most likely it's just one city on the planet of Tatooine. Tatooine. I remember when they released the first publicity image of Discovery from the pilot. And do you remember in the uh, in the pilot we first see Burnham and Giorgio on that desert planet, like walking through the desert? It was a still from that. And everyone's like, "Oh, they're copying Star Wars." I'm like, "Star Wars didn't invent deserts, people." <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> oh, good lord! Yeah. So, how dare they? But the last episode of Crisis Point. Mariner was very much the focus of it, if you recall. Mariner was the writer. Yeah. She took it um, in a complete different direction that Boimler was trying to take it through. Because if you recall, you know, for the context, for context, Boimler actually created it mm-hmm. because he was prepping for his review and he wanted to use it. So when he's actually talking to the captain, he was, he was like more better prepared to um, he was better prepared to speak with her and the senior staff. Yeah. And obviously she took it and 
just ran with it and just completely reprogrammed the entire thing. And she was enjoying kind of causing physical harm, shooting the crew, and just really um, having a good time with it. Much to Tendi's kind of disgust. Mm-hmm. This time out, Boimler is the focus. Because he just feels like, well, you know, you ruined it last time, so I'm going to try it again. But there's a kind of, for a little while anyway, there's a kind of somber tone about it. Because we learn some rather distressing information at first. Which is that clone of his that we met at the beginning of last season was killed in action. Which was a bit of a surprise. I mean, (laughs) I'd always thought, we. I remember us thinking at the time that season two might have been building to the two of them having a fight, a battle well, at the end. Still could be. Still could be, right. I mean, I'm, we're, I'm talking like in, you know, moment in time kind of thing. Oh, yeah. So, it was interesting because my first thought when they, I didn't, I'm not going to say that I predicted it, but I yeah. did think no one would die in Starfleet from their cabin filling up with gas. Right. You know, it just seems so far-fetched. And I guess it makes sense because it was section 31 faking his death so that they could yeah. recruit him. Yeah. I, I think with this one, it's so with the last one, it's very much the just send, send up of the Star Trek films. This one is more about it's, it's, it's just, it's a character episode basically through and through um, yeah. for and, Boim- and for really Boimler and for Tendi as well. Yeah. And, and it's about Boimler looking for the meaning of life. Right. <laughs> Which was pretty funny at the end. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about when we get there, but I have a f- few questions about the end. All right. Um, but we also learn in this episode that... So, uh, the plot of the episode is that... Or the plot of the holodeck program, I should say, is they're just chasing the Romulans. The Romulans have managed to take one of their devices. What they call it? Not origami, but it was... Um, what the hell was it called? Protogami. <laughs> Protogami, Yes. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah. Um, and so it's just sort of like a time, it's like a heist, sort of like a time travel heist going through all these various points through time. Um, but through all of that, we learn, you know, Tendi is actually really into it and she's actually taking it very seriously. Rutherford is not. Rutherford's just enjoying it as it is. Yes. And she's a. Taking it seriously, not only the adventure part, she's taking the adventure part seriously and the emotional part. And the emotional side of it, right. But, and through all of that, we learn that she actually wants to be a captain, which is kind of a new piece of information about Tendi. Because we were thinking that, was she going to just, the show has, has led us to believe that she was going to stay more on the medical or science side of things. Mm-hmm. But now she's sort of looking into the command side, which was a nice yeah. and sort of somewhat unexpected Revelation, yes. yeah. Do you think that uh, they'll do anything with the potential of her becoming a captain before Boimler? Ever? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. If she suddenly is better at, you know, moving ahead than he is. It's, it's, it's weird upset. because after Boimler's stint on the Titan... I don't quite know what to think of him now. I don't... Because he got a taste of what it's like to be on a prestige ship. And if you recall, before that, he said that was my... That was his dream posting. And it didn't really work out. And so I remember saying to you at the time, how do you... How do you come back from that? How do you... What do you do now with him? If that was his dream posting and then you take it away, now what? So I'm still somewhat at a loss with him as far as where I'd like to see him go. I mean, we've seen him experiment with, you know, different people on this with the Cerritos. Like, you know, what was that? The uh, the red shirts um, mm. last season. So I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm not... For some reason, I have trouble seeing Boimler's future right now and just sort of seeing something that I'd like to see. And I, It does seem like he still wants to move up. It just, yeah. I just took it as, instead of, he would rather move up within his, the, within his own ship, within the Cerritos. Yeah, like, I just, the thing is, I can't get past the Titan thing. I don't know why. I, I just, it it yeah. feels like, 
Because remember at the time I was a little angry that he got promoted. I'm like, yeah. already what? And it could maybe. It, I mean, you could just put it in your head that it was too soon, and he needs a little more experience. He's a little more experience. Yeah, possibly. I, I think and you know what it was the right fit because you know you saw how um, Riker runs his ship. Well, I think. I think that line that he had kind of ruined it for me when he said it's that, that was my dream that's my dream posting. And he got it and then cuz it's like okay, well then now what? Well, I mean, but here's yeah. the thing. One's dreams are not right. Yeah. I mean, he found out that his what he thought was his dream was not actually a good fit for him. I think that happens to a lot of people in life. Yeah. I don't I mean, I'm being a teacher, a lot of people you know, go through all the work to become a teacher, they become a teacher and then after the first year they change careers already because yeah. they realize it's not actually for them i think maybe it's because yeah i think maybe because it just at the time it seemed so clear-cut that that's what he wanted to do and now that he that was taken away now that he lost that the show has been a little bit more coy in what his potential direction is going to be so mm. yeah i don't know I, I, it's not the show. It's just me. I, I, I just I'm having trouble with it right now. Well, uh, yeah. life is is a journey that's rarely a straight line. I think, but I, the short answer is I, I can see command at some point. I, I, I honestly think that I could see the lower deckers sticking together and like all being in command together. Yeah, and one not need not be a captain to be in command. Right. Like I mean, as we've seen in Star Trek before. Um, captains get to choose their crew. So I could definitely see one of them being a, being promoted to captain someday, and wanting to choose them each other as their crew. Um, yeah, yeah. And if and if uh, that's you know those aren't really going to work unless Boimler is able to let go of some of his ambition. So right. perhaps it's the right move for that to happen. Right. So, but I think, but this holodeck program also kind of demonstrates that, yes, I mean, he does want to be a captain because we see him being the captain and commanding a sovereign class starship that looks, you know, the same class as the Enterprise E. What was the name? Captain Dagger? Yes, which very much reminds me of Ransom. Yeah, and he was a real, you know, a real badass. So yeah, I mean, I, I I guess yes, I think Captain C is definitely in his, um, in his future. When Indeed. is that future? Who knows. Mm-hmm. And perhaps I predict that it will be in Tendi's future before it's in Boimler's future. Right. So, yeah, like, and with Tendi's because this is sort of a new, a new sort of revelation. Um, I don't really have much to say um it's like okay well if you're gonna do that i mean i'm tell me more but uh yeah yeah I, and i do think that we have seen her kind of questioning her well she post. thinks she won't be respected as a captain right right and once again i think we get to see rutherford's excellent pers personality just you know He's all for it. Hey, that's great. You can be a captain. Yeah. <laughs> He's um, really just gung-ho for anything. They have been doing, I think, some very... I mean, we love Rutherford, right? We love them all. We love Rutherford a lot, too. But don't you feel like they've really... There were, like... I think there were, like, two other episodes where it felt like with him they were really embracing the more comical side of it and him just wanting and just enjoying being there like in this one you know he's eating food he's munching on chips as they're going through the holiday program mm -hmm. just enjoying it just just you know eating it all up and just loving it but yeah. not really Perhaps taking it seriously with, yeah with the eradication of his um past self maybe right. now he freed up a little bit right yeah i mean they're definitely embracing a more comical side of him this time like comical in a different way like it's it just less nerdy in some cases and just more like you know absurdist humor in the moment yeah him. i bet i bet yeah. like like his line now whoa these graphics are mind-blowing yeah. <laughs> right totally that was very funny so it's funny too that it looked like i'm like this is definitely 
the Enterprise and the Enterprise. Right. The, you're right. <laughs> these graphics. Yeah, and you know, and the the whole thing was, I mean, even being in that, I mean, they're obviously mimicking Space Library of the One from the Wrath of Khan, the whole mm-hmm. Genesis of uh, Genesis device. Yeah, even the even the woman that he created, her um, costume. Yeah. Was very much like, um, you know, Kirk's baby mama. Yes. Carol Marcus. Thank you. Yes. Sorry, Carol Marcus. I don't mean to disrespect you, but I could not think of your name. But in Boimler searching for this sort of meaning of life, he finds it through a unexpected appearance by an old legacy character. Oh, you don't mean he found it through knickknack? <laughs> That was so funny. <laughs> you know, I will say, I thought for a, I honestly thought for a moment. Did they, are they going to get, is William Shatner going to appear in this and like do the, and be Kirk? Yeah. And I mean, no, but, but yeah. Yeah. Well, certainly here was our, um, so I guess they did get into the next gen films and this was definitely the generations moment. Yes. Um, but here's a, here's something interesting. You heard Boiler say Captain Kirk, and he said no, Captain Sulu. He said, "Ooh, that's even better." What do you think that was about? Yeah, I I think I feel like what they're doing there is that they're playing into that whole William Shatner George Takei f- alleged feud between the two of them. Okay, yeah, and just you know making light of it. But so you think um, George Takei insisted on that line? No. Okay. I don't. I think they wrote it and he read it in the script and was like, oh, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're bad. Anything to throw shade at Bill. <laughs> yeah. um, I love this laugh. No, but, but we're having lunch at the LA Country Club later. Ha ha ha. Yeah. But, I mean, it was nice to see Sulu. I mean, albeit in animated form, but it was still very cool to see him in give Boimler the guidance that he needed. Of course, I loved the moment just before that when he's like, you're just giving, you're just sputtering out all these random quotes. You're not even giving me the meaning of life. Yes, and then he went inside and then he found Kitty Hawk, the (laughs) Wright Brothers' first plane. Which he said, this doesn't even make any sense. Right. Which is which is yes. true, and I'm hoping they weren't taking a dig at um, the motion picture. Because oh, the motion they t- picture oh, they totally, oh, they totally were. They absolutely the were. The motion picture did make sense. Obviously, the Kitty Hawk plane never went to space. Right. <laughs> still that we know of. Yeah, but yeah. So that that is that in the Smithsonian? It is, right? Sounds like something that would be. Yeah, I can't remember if it was or not, but probably right next to the Enterprise. Yeah, I'm th- for some reason, I, no, I was thinking of the Spirit of St. Louis. I know that's there, but I couldn't remember if the Kitty Hawk was or not. Is the Spruce Goose there? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was it was nice to see Mr. Takei reprise the role as Sulu, and it, obviously, with that, it got me thinking. You know, I know that Lower Deck. You know, Lower Deck is not all about. Well, actually, it is all about <laughs> the, the. You know revisiting past Trek and you know maybe even seeing some legacy characters from time to time but it it kind of yeah we got Tom Paris come on but the thing is it reminded me that like yeah you could still bring in Sulu like you could still bring in George Takei he's still with us he's still you know doing stuff he's still around and especially in the holodeck so you don't have to right right so I, I think it was just one of those things that just reminded me uh you know that lower decks can basically bring in anybody they want you know yeah. despite like you know however the however old the person may be in the real world makes no difference we just need their voice right yeah and, and even beyond yeah. that in the live action i mean we've seen luke skywalker recently right looking his 19 i yes yes i I, I think i've said to you i've had I, have, I can see where some of that might possibly be going um but i mean did you have any thoughts you must have had thoughts about the use of sulu to kind of give Boimler the advice that he needed or were you just kind of I think it was it worked really well yeah I don't know why something about his voice you know he has that very soothing voice I know it's sort of become a humorous voice but right you know 
don't know. Yeah, it felt like it meant something. I guess for many of them, that line would have meant anything. Like, I've seen friends die heroically, and I've seen... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because they're all pretty old. They've all seen a lot of friends die. Yeah. Their characters and the the actors. Yeah. It would have worked for uh, for anybody. But, yeah, I thought it worked really well. And, you know, I, I, I think we can all agree that... Um, I think Takei has a little better comic timing than Shatner. He does. And I also think Takei is affordable. Yes, that's true. Yeah, right. Uh, Who knows? What do you think? uh, Well, yeah, what do you think, um, Kirk? I'm telling you, dude, like, if they were to ever get Shatner to do it, to do Trek again, I think Lower Decks would be the best bet. Um, Yeah, because he could do it from his living room. But even then, like, I... I don't think that he would. I don't think they could afford him. <laughs> I don't even think that. But you know what? I think I. Okay, so you say that, right? But then I think about that thing he does at Ticonderoga, and I think how much could they really be paying him to go to, to the to the set tour in Ticonderoga? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know what? The reason why I say that is because it, it reminds me of a story in season four of Enterprise. They actually wanted to have him make an appearance on the show as Kirk in a two-part episode. And it would have been some, like, crazy time travel mirror universe. I think it was supposed to be, like, mirror universe Kirk, but uh, older. I don't know if it's... Spe- he was, like, the leader of the <laughs> Terran Empire or something? I don't remember the specifics of the story, but it, it was something to do. it was something to do with... People from the mirror universe are like different universes who might have been cast out or, you know, rejected for something they did. And they're thrown into this sort of like uh, temporal sort of prison. So there's like this prison somewhere in Enterprise's time Mm -hmm. that has all of these different people from different time periods, different universes, all. Aaron Kirk would be. So Taron Kirk would have been there, yeah. So I, I think, I think it was something like that. Okay. And they, Rick Berman talked about how he didn't get into specifics, but he said, you know, when you have a guest actor on the show, they get paid the high. Their fee is called the top of the show, which is basically like the highest you can ever pay a guest actor. You never pay a guest actor more than you pay the actual cast, right? Even though he, so Berman didn't say what the actual number was, but he said right. every guest actor has a flat rate, has like, you know, the highest we can pay them. Mm-hmm. And what that number was, he goes, Shatner wanted like 20 times high, wanted like 20, 20 times more than that. Yeah. Yeah. So probably 20 times whatever um, Bacula was getting. Well, it was whatever like the maximum amount of money get, that is paid by a guest actor is timed yeah. by 20, which I don't know, again, but he didn't say what that amount was. I don't even know what the, act, the actual the cast was paid. I don't even know if like that number was more than what the cast was making. But you right. got to remember that this is season four of Enterprise. Okay. The budget had been oh. slashed. They weren't even, they were like, it was like, I think their episodic, their episode budget was like actually one, like it was something like 1.5 million an episode. And it was cut down to like eight hundred and fifty thousand an episode. Yeah. Right. So it just wasn't. And so later on, Shatner said to Rick Berman, because Shatner actually went to them and actually pitched the entire idea to them. They didn't go to him. He came to them. Weird. And I guess he did write some novels, right? So. Well, I think it was also like at a time where, like, in Shat, it would it was also at a time I think where it would have been really great to see Shatner making an appearance on the show. Like, there was something I don't remember. I think he was like, you know, beginning to ascend into this sort of popularity of like being the humorous guy, and you know, I think that's so. It would have been like the perfect time for him to do that, I guess. But um, so apparently, they couldn't work out the deal. And then later on, when Shatner was doing an interview, I think for the captains or one of the documentaries with Berman, he sort of casually said to Berman, this is not the documentary, but he said to Berman, like, he's like, you know, I had this really great idea and I pitched it to you guys and I just never heard from you, from any of you about it. And he's like, no, Bill, he's like, that's not what happened. You wanted like an obscene amount of money to do it. And the studio said no. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So... Yeah. Long side story, and, and, but you know, and Shatner's not one to say. You know what? 
I love the franchise. I'll take a little bit less to do it. Yeah. I just that's not a Shatner move. I mean, maybe it's a case of like if you're gonna bring on Kirk, you know, what's the proper context to do it? Don't just do it as a gag, right? Is he there you know, what's the what's the meaning of it, you know? Whatever, right? Oh, you know they can do it. I mean they did it with Nemo, I think, perfectly in next gen. Right, right. So if i think if like I think we were talking about this with the Deep Space Nine episode, right? Don't just mm-hmm. do it to do it. Like, what's the, what's the yeah, specific what's reason to go there? Like, is it specific to DS9, or could the events that there happen someplace else? Therefore, you don't have to go to DS9, right? So, I, I think like with Kirk, is it sort of the same thing? I mean, I, I you know, I don't know. I just know that I, I think it would be cool to see him voicing an episode in an episode, but, um, you know. Whether it's the right time for it, I mean, it's, I don't, <laughs> I mean, he's Captain James T. Kirk. He's the most popular character in the entire franchise, for crying out loud. I think any, any, just to see him. Would, I think you Spock don't think so? Is. I think Spock is. If not the most popular, the second most, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. But, um, yeah, but I digress, but I digress. So, I think so I liked it, and I like I, honestly, I liked his whole storyline. Yeah, I really thought Knickknack was great. Yeah, um, and I really liked the change in Mariner when she found out th- that he actually was kind of <laughs> in a tough spot emotionally after finding out his right twin ish had died. Mm-hmm. So I, I think his story really, um, I think it had a, it was funny and it had a great emotional payoff. Yeah, you know, it really ranks pretty high for my episodes of this season. I think it. Yeah, I mean, when you and I, I think we're initially talking about it. I, my first thought was I didn't like it as much as the last as the first Crisis Point, but then when I watched it again and then the third time, I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't be comparing it to the first one because I mean, how can you not? It's called Crisis Point Part Two, right? Yeah. But it wasn't the same thing. I mean, it. it you know the. The episode, like I said in the beginning of the, the top of our show, the episode was not about the gags and the poking fun and, you know, that was certainly present. But what it really was, was that was, that sort of took a back seat because primarily it was a, it was a, it was an episode all about the characters this time out, which I really was pleasantly surprised by. They've been doing some really interesting character work on the show this year, I think. And, yeah. I kind of feel like what they the way they balanced the character work in this one with the gags. I think they've managed to do that better just this season in general. I mean, certainly you see a lot of poking fun in at the franchise. It's just what the show is. I in in some ways I feel like they tone that down a little bit. It's still there, but it's not the main. It's not the primary focus of the show. It very much felt like the primary focus in the first season because the show needed to come along, needed to needed to establish itself, needed to win everybody over, right? So I felt like they maybe had done that. They maybe gone overboard on that just a little bit. Still loved it. Still thought it was great. But I feel like they've kind of calmed down on that just a little bit now that the show has really established itself and the fans love it. Now it really feels like okay, now they can get to work on developing these characters. Yeah, and definitely, like you said, the balance. I think that's the big thing because I think there's been some episodes where we come away from it thinking it was sort of a, I guess maybe the story was okay, but really we didn't didn't really laugh that much. There were a couple of episodes I remember last season. I think particularly in in the early part of the season where it was just like constant throwbacks, gags, at almost breakneck speed. Right, so yeah, sometimes and it's like whoa, 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 calm down, show, yeah. And then sometimes we had just only a storyline that wasn't all that great, and we didn't really laugh. Right. So yeah, I think they're they're getting the balance down, which is. I mean, I don't think they're going to hit that every week, right? But even the ones that where they didn't quite have that balance, I mean, it was still enjoyable. We still liked it. Um, I can't really say that there have been any like episodes in the series I didn't, I haven't liked. 
there some I obviously like more than others, but I never I never walked away from any any of them feeling like, God, that episode was fucking terrible. What were they doing? What were they thinking? That I got kind of bored with, which is you know. I think that's yeah. I mean, we've definitely gotten bored with episodes. Twenty-five minute, thirty-minute show, and you get bored. That's that's pretty bad. Yeah. But but did you but did you I I don't know if did you hate them though or were you just kind of no I just was bored. Yeah, that was maybe two out of you know three seasons worth. I mean, thirty episodes, dude. Yeah. And so if if it's if it's just two episodes out of thirty, I mean that's pretty good. (laughs) That's pretty good. Um. So, the other thing I was going to mention, sorry, this occurred to me as well. You know, you were mentioning, and maybe this kind of feeds into, actually, I'll save it for the, uh, for the Easter eggs, because that's kind of what it is. So, yeah. So, before we wrap up the episode, it ended on a very interesting note. So, as we learned, Boimler's twin did not actually die. Mm Mm-hmm. He's going to be joining the not so secret section 31, which I got to admit, I kind of just rolled my eyes because I just, as I've said a million times, I'm so sick of section 31. And while is this, I know this is lower decks. Are you just doing this as a joke? They're, they're definitely going to make fun of section 31. They're definitely going to make fun of section 31, but I'm just like, Oh my God. Yes. Why do you have a special combat if it's secret? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's, is this I, it? Fine. And yeah. I do think it's I think it's going to be one of those things that we won't see anything more about this, maybe for a whole nother season, you know? Yeah. Maybe like toward the end of next season. Yeah. That's my prediction. Just like a lot of these things have paid off much later. We have to f- not forget that the show plant likes to plant seeds, but they're not like the seeds for like like one episode later on in line. We're not like, it's not like setting like, up an entire um, season, right? Like Rutherford's implant. We still haven't gotten the whole story there. Oh no, we did finally. Right. That's right. We did. But it took a while. Right. Did we hear about that in the second season? We, I think season? it was first. They touched upon it. I think originally in the first, then they, they revisited it in the second and then they mm-hmm. wrapped it up in this one. So if they revisit the section 31 thing, I mean, I, I mean, if previous plots are any indication, I don't expect them to spend too much time on this i would love i mean i'm looking forward to seeing lower decks make fun of section 31 i think that's going to be great yeah but obviously the the fan and i mean you've heard me say so many times over the years like i'm so fucking sick of section 31 like they're just not interesting at all anymore yeah and i yeah it's very true yeah but i don't know i mean we'll see i i think it, it's making me think of when we met the Vulcan at the end of season two. Are we going to see her at some point? I'm sure we will. I mean, it definitely was set up that way. Um, so hopefully we will see her come back, show up at some point. But Shall we move yeah. on to our favorite lines and our Easter eggs? Yes, let's move on to our favorite lines. See. So okay. why don't you go first? I always go first. Why don't you go first? Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually have a few here, but I think I got, I'm going to go with two. All right. Um, one is when Boimler comes back depressed and Mariner is kind of questioning him as to what's going on. And he doesn't want to have the love story. And Mariner asks him, well, why did you make her so hot? And then she says, I don't know what to do. And she looks at Mariner and Mariner says, yeah, me either, lady. Okay, bye. <laughs> Thought that was really good because, you know, you saw this artificial holographic life having this moment of uh, questioning why they even exist. And <laughs> Mariner just so right out of there. Mine was uh, early on when they were like looking at the credits and then Mariner says... Uh, yeah, but time travel? Listen, Captain Dagger, don't tell me we're going to have to go back and assassinate Kennedy because that's not happening. That was nice. The reason why I like that line is because there's actually a little bit of a deep cut in there. So that was one of the plots that they were toying with for uh, Wrath of Khan, for what would eventually become the Wrath of Khan, Star Trek Two. They wanted to do some kind of uh, time travel plot where you actually had to go back, where they actually had to go back and assassinate Kennedy. 
Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. I, I had heard that before, but I had forgotten. Yeah. Um, one more. Uh, when Boimler says, um, uh, my story, talking about why his story is better than the other story. And he says, my story is an examination of the human condition. And I think it's Knickknack says, it is steeped in significance, wise one. So there's a, obviously the entire, I mean, the entire episode is that. But um, the one that I wanted to bring up first, because you were saying that you, you were mentioning quite a number of generations callbacks in this mm-hmm. episode. Um, so when Boimler goes, so there's actually two that come to mind. Um if they weren't obvious to uh, generations callback. So with Sulu, you know, Sulu's on Kirk's uh, ranch, which we did see in generations and Boimler asks where Kirk is. And Sulu says, well, he's off doing some time travel stuff, which obviously suggests, Oh, did Picard, did him and Picard just leave and go do off what they were doing in the, the Nexus. But the other one, which may be a little bit more subtle is, um, in the beginning of the episode, when they're in the holodeck, and Boimler leaves, and while he's away, he finds out what we think happened to his clone, that his clone died, and he's all disappointed. The same thing happened to Picard in Generations. So if you remember at the beginning of Generations, they have that, they're on the holodeck, and Worf's getting promoted. And while in the middle, as they're wrapping up the ceremony, Picard finds out that his nephew, Rene, and his um, brother have died. And so right. he's all upset. So it kind of paralleled, I thought, that moment as well, which I thought was an interesting, uh, you know, yeah. nod to generations. <coughs> so, again, it's a little bit, it's a little bit, more, that's a little bit more subtle. It's not very, it's not as on the nose as the rest. Um, Good eye. But, so, as I mentioned in the beginning, the opening titles were using you know, the motion picture key art, it's using the Wrath of Khan font. We see a um, Sovereign class USS Wayfarer, which is obviously what the um, Enterprise E is in the films. Uh, we see the Romulan Birds of Prey, or excuse me, the Romulan Warbirds that were established in Star Trek Nemesis, which, is, which I thought was a very interesting touch. Uh, I mentioned the John F. Kennedy plot, which was intended to be the original idea for the sequel to Star Trek The Motion Picture. Um, you know, we talked about how when Tendi, or excuse me, when Mariner references the alternate universe with having different actors, different characters, different actors play different characters. I mean, that's obviously a reference to the alternate reality in the um, Kelvin timeline. Spa- the interior of the space lab looks just like Space Lab Regular One, down to the orange glowy tubes that we see in all of those uh, uh, prop that we see in all those um, in all those. Uh, all throughout Trek. Um, I'm not going to go through everything. I'm just going to go through the high ones because there are a lot. The Romulans bomb design is the exact same design as we see as the one used in Star Trek Nemesis to assassinate the entire Romulan Senate. Um, when Knickknack blowing up the brig was very much like when Scotty blew up, you know, smashed through the wall in the brig in Star Trek V to free Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Which I thought was a really nice, which I thought was a really nice touch. Uh, Kirk's ranch in Idaho, obviously, um, and uh, let me see, let me just pick out a couple more here. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Boimler joining Section Thirty One is obviously a huge Easter egg as well. Um, as I mentioned, you know, there are a lot of um, there are quite a number of Easter eggs. I don't want to go through all of them. Because it's just too much. We could be here all day. So, yeah. yeah. Well, well done. Well done. <laughs> um, but that's that's that. So, we have two episodes left in the season. Yes. Which is hard to believe. We're already uh, we're pretty much through an entire season already. Yep. Yeah. Um. I will say that as of this recording, without spoiling anything, uh, it's more of a message for you. Um, Prodigy has returned, mm. and I'm really enjoying it. The yeah. 
the new a new episode premiered as of this recording last week. The premiere, uh, the second half of the season premiered last week. And I know that we haven't really covered the show much. We did one episode on the show so far. Um, but I think it would be, be worth our time at some point to maybe when there's more episodes. Um, I think we, we've got like eight episodes now already, so it could be a good time. Um, or maybe when I think there's going to be like 20 episodes or 20 something. Do you think you talk about it as a whole? <clears throat> it could or, be as a whole or maybe like, you know, because here's the thing. The first seven episodes sort of set everything up. The next batch are going to like, so it's sort of like we're in like chapter two of season one. So is it worth like a sort of retroactively looking at the first number of, you know, first batch of episodes and then, you know, we, we, we can figure this out, but I definitely think that we should um, review and talk about this show in more detail because despite okay. it being, you know, despite it being compared to the other ones sort of somewhat, I would say, and I don't mean this negatively, it's a, it's a little bit of a more lightweight show. It doesn't require, I don't think, you know, I don't think we would be able to be sitting here for like, you know, an extended period of time just, you know, mulling over every detail. Mm-hmm. But it's a very, it's a really good show. I'd actually be in, interested to know if you had any take on it as far as like, you know, do you think this would be a good entry level show for the, for the, for the age grade, an entry level Trek show? For the group of, um, for the age group that they are shooting for, definitely adults can find some enjoyment in it as well. But um, I what do want. Well, I mean, it's meant, it's like it's for kids, right? <coughs> yeah. I think if your parents are Trek enthusiasts, yeah. Then yes. I mean, I I can't use my pushing their enthusiasm on you. I can't use myself as an example only because when I was that age, I got into Trek too, but I was weird. So, yeah, well, me too. Yeah, I'm not really yeah, the best example. Kind of the thing. Me, it's like, well, no, the the proper trek for that age group is trek. Yeah, right. But I do understand how you know you got to have something that's more geared toward the young people. Well, I think also because you have told me that you know you watched a lot of the, I forget which one it was, one of these star animated Star Wars shows, right? That Clone Wars. Yeah. The Clone Wars, yes, but one thing that the Clone Wars is, is the Clone Wars quickly made itself as vital as anything else, as important to the yeah. war. Yeah. Because you had Anakin, Obi-Wan, Yoda, Mace Windu, you know, you had all the heavy hitters, Dooku. Yeah. So I think that this show <clears throat> will never quite be that. Even just the way the story is set sort of to the side without of the even the territory of that we normally consider federation territory i think that i i honestly think that you will that you would enjoy it um because you have these moments where this band of kids is learning about starfleet they're learning about these legacy characters for the first time and we we're watching it and we know exactly who they are right yeah i do love that yeah and it's just for the new trek powers that be to define Star Trek. Yeah. It's it's fun. I mean, I I I I really do enjoy it. I've really enjoyed what I've seen so far. Well, I will definitely <clears throat> be watching it. Then. Forgive me. I feel like I'm losing my voice here. You kind of are. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've had a my my chest has been was like has been like constricted this morning, so colds going around. Yeah. Yeah. Although not going into the office, where are you going to get a cold? You know, maybe a grocery store, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. All right, well, I think that'll do it for this week. I agree. We'll be back next week for which episode? The next episode, which you know, I mean, really, just a beautiful, beautiful episode. I mean. They've had some good episodes, but I mean, come on, this is a beauty, big, beautiful episode. Note to listeners: this is when he, this is where he is opening up Chrome, navigating <laughs> to where he needs to go. So we love this is the lower decks. We do, don't we? We love it. 
We love it. Even though I can edit this out entirely, he just insists on... Trusted Sources is the name of the next episode, the next big, beautiful episode of Star Trek Lower Deck. The show that we love, right? We love it, folks. We love it. We, this podcast, I would hope, is a trusted source of all things Trek. I would hope so. Yeah. So does this mean um, we're going to get Jake Sisko <laughs> reporting on... Well, it's funny. The title of the episode, I mean, obviously, um, reminds me of, yeah, like, you know, a trusted reporter, right? But it made me yeah, think of... They uh, must use trusted sources for their information. It reminded me, it reminds me for some reason of what you said when we were talking about the very first episode of Picard where he was being interviewed by that reporter and you were like, I'm surprised in the 24th century they still have like those gotcha reporters. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't make any sense. Yeah. But, you know, they, they, Star Trek does so little with the society outside of Federation and Starfleet that, you know. There is a news organization. There is a Federation news network, news organization. Right. So, but, but if yeah. it's a Federation news network, that implies to me that it's like somehow not that independent, or certainly not adversarial yeah. to the Federation. Right. I don't believe it's the Fox News of. No, uh, the, the Terran. The Terran one would be more the Fox Terran News. <laughs> oh come on, man! That stuff doesn't exist in Star Trek's time. We're, we're so beyond that. Along. There's no you know. partisan divide. Yeah, there's no part. There's no partisan divide. Although that Except that like, well, the, I mean, you know, some people um, didn't want to help the Romulans, right? But it's always like big interplanetary stuff. There's never. I we never hear about any domestic issues. Right. Do you want? Are you saying you want to hear about domestic issues? Oh, I don't care. I, yeah, you write me a good story. I'll I'll see it. I mean, yeah. I don't think that's the best direction to go in, but yeah. I mean, I think if there's one thing that I that I would love to see Trek do, among many, is that I I, I want to get a better sense of what living on Earth is like in that time. Yes, yes. In yeah. Now I wouldn't want it to be like. I can see the natural instinct would be, well, we got to make it that. You know, there's a dark underbelly that nobody sees, and we got to expose that or something, yeah, yeah. which I don't think is the best way to go. That's why I think setting it at Starfleet Academy is always going to be the best way to go. So you can see glimpses of the rest of planet Earth. That's what I hoped that Picard was going to be. Season one, anyway. Yeah, I got a little Earth from it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll find out next week. If these sources can be trusted. Mm -hmm. So until then, see everybody then. Peace out, everyone.